Is there even such thing as a state? That may seem to most people like a weird question, but it's one of the things that we discuss in this episode of Scottish Liberty Podcast 182. I'm recording this intro from Delaware. I actually forgot where I was when I was about to hit the record button, and I had to think about it for a minute. This was recorded in Chicago at the house of David Ramsey Steele, the excellent libertarian theorist who's responsible for the book From Marx to Mises, Orwell, Your Orwell, and most recently, The Mystery of Fascism. He also wrote some self-help books like Three Minute Therapy. We had a meet and greet when I was in his house in Chicago, and some people came over and asked questions. It was fun. And here's half of it, because people asked a lot of questions. I mostly answer them in this one. And in the next episode, which I hope you'll enjoy next week, David Ramsey Steele is going to educate us on the mystery of fascism. One thing, just before I left, David's wife gave me a hug and said, please come and visit us again. Which was very touching because you're essentially a guest in someone else's house and you're there on their auspices. It's nice to know that your presence is appreciated. David Ramsey Steele is going to interview me. Right, okay. Well, there's the first question. (laughs) (laughs) What's the first question? How you became the Not this one again, David. They haven't heard it. Unless we found your old videos. If you've listened to my podcast, you've probably heard it a zillion times. That's a few of us, but not all. Basically... I, around, just before Ron Paul came on the scene around 2007, before that, I started putting political videos on YouTube from a sort of what you'd call a progressive point of view, but we didn't use that term in the UK. You were a lefty loony. I pretty much believed in a market economy, but I would have been like this kind of, 70s cleaned up capitalism big government at least social programs i thought the purpose of the government should be to make society fair and regulate the public the private sector so i'd say i was a moderate lefty but i thought i was very i thought i must be a radical because i knew whatever the labor party were i thought they were full of shit so they didn't so I, I thought I must be very I, I thought I must be uh, on the far left even though I believed in the market economy because everyone who was didactic was sorry everyone who was dissident was on the far was on the far left who was really dissident as far as I was concerned did any of the left labor politicians of that time like Tony Benn or Dennis Skinner appeal to you or not even too, too moderate well, no, I, I would have, if, I don't know, I would have said they were the good guys, them and George Galloway and what have or you. Or younger Jeremy Corbyn before he was party leader. Sure. They would have been more like the good guys, like I would have admired someone like John Pilger. Still admire John Pilger, actually, for his like anti-war stuff. <clears throat> those were more my kind of lefties, because more intellectual, like Noam Chomsky or something like that. Um, 
So then I got gate crashed by libertarians telling me that I was wrong and because of my um obsessive nature I had to go down the YouTube rabbit hole and there was a lot of there was a few ANCAPs putting out videos and Ron Paul helped as well because he talked about the Federal Reserve and I was like this is so obvious like this is so obvious why isn't anyone on the left talking about the Federal Reserve and the central banking and stuff like that it was only like conspiracy theorists like David Icke and Alex Jones that were talking about central banking at that before Ron Paul came on the scene. So it's like, why aren't the left interested in this? Because it's so obviously the rich versus the poor uh, the, when it comes to central banking. And I think Ron Paul helped me see the benefit of markets. And then so did the YouTubers. And then I got onto Stefan Molyneux and I became a really big fan of his mm. up until about 2013. I've been a fan of his for a good four or five years, especially because he was coming from it from a psychological angle, which I was interested in. And the uh, peaceful parenting stuff appealed to me as well, which I'd already kind of read Summerhill and How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk and books like that, which I thought were really, really revolutionary and useful in my dealings with kids and adults. They changed the way that I communicated with adults. So that was going on. There's two parts to your question. How did I, so it took about two years for me to become a libertarian and I just called myself an anarchist. Um, so this was going on around 2008, 2009. Or at least I, and I was starting my degree at the same time. I started my degree at 22. And I had a political philosophy course in the second year of my degree, which gave me a chance to argue anarchist views against John Locke and Hobbes. So I got to formulate my opinions and write an essay for uni which was helpful but I was writing stuff on Facebook debating with people on Facebook to get with, to get clear on what I was thinking and to meet with the objections of the common man like why why would a regular person think I was wrong which made me have to go away and think and research and formulate all my ideas so I was in that process for two or three years of it was a long time before I even accepted the term libertarian. Then I moved to Edinburgh and got a girlfriend there that I live with. And I started going to the libertarian meetups. I went on meetup.com and then I met some friends and that was good because then I wasn't on my own anymore being a libertarian. Add some others. How did I become a therapist? Um, I was in university and I wasn't very, I was struggling 
uh, emotionally with depression, anxiety. Just not feeling good. <laughs> so I got really into personal... I was always into personal development, but I got really into it. And then I got into these books on communication skills and I started implementing it in my day-to-day -day life. And I got good results from that and my personal relationships. So I thought maybe I'd teach that. So I started running some workshops and then I was doing this personal development stuff, learning, using kind of the kind of listening approaches that therapists use, paraphrasing, prompting people to go deeper and what have you. And, I, and that was helpful. So I thought, I was still studying my undergrad, so I thought I'd go and do a postgrad in counselling. And that's what I did when I finished up. And then I tried all sorts of st um, niches and things, but I was really interested in communication. I still am. But that was a good, that was good because it suits me and it's quite nice to be able to be there for people and help them. And I'm lucky because I can do it from my laptop, so I can do it from anywhere. Are you still actively doing it? Yeah, but not a lot of hours. Because I can't balance it with all the travel and my voice is going as well, which isn't ideal. So... So yeah, you've, you've written two books, one, one on the universal basic income and one on um, from the psychotherapeutic view on uh, procrastination. <laughs> um, and another little one called How to Make Small Talk. Right. So, um, so yours is the only really accessible pamphlet out there on the topic of universal basic income. I don't. I've not heard of another book that's been written from a critical standpoint. All of the books that I've seen on it seem to be seem to think that the universal basic income is a magical panacea that's going to solve everything. And it's not me who's saying it. It's the the the, the titles of the books: Utopia for Realists can't remember what the other titles are but they all seem to think i was at a skeptic society meeting once and someone brought up the universal basic income and was raving about it and i said to him i didn't tell him i'd written a book about it because <laughs> i didn't want to bias his answer so i said what do you think would be the drawbacks of the U ubi and he just paused for a second and he said i don't think there are any and it's like, it was so weird because if the economists can't agree on anything apart from the fact that every policy has benefits and drawbacks. And that the demand curve slopes down from left to right. Well, we can't even agree on that because. Economists do. No? <laughs> oh, sick burn. No, but what we were saying is certain products luxury items 
might sell more. There might be more demand for them if you increase the price. So even that, we can't, economists can't fully agree on. So it was weird. How can someone say there are no drawbacks at all? Did he not even take a minute to think? Can I think of any drawback? Whatever. But that's not just him. That's the people that write these books seemingly think that there's no drawbacks to it. Right. So why am so why I'm not being invited to, onto panel shows is a mystery. No, no one's no no barely anyone knows the book exists. Well, but also um, most people who do panels on TV and so on not, don't want to promote any dissension about it. Well, usually they'll have two people that are for it and two people that are critical of it. So, but no one knows I make, I exist, so I can't be the critical guy. Which is fun because, like, I'm tired of talking about UBI. So, when someone invites me on their show, I'm like, and they're like. Oh, we can interview you about your UBI book. I was like, I'm like, okay, but can we just make that ten minutes of the interview because <laughs> and talk about other stuff? Because I always like to talk about stuff that people haven't heard before. But um, I wouldn't mind if I was getting paid all sorts of good money to go on panel shows. I suppose speaking speaking about the same talking points again and again. It's my fault though, because I've had three years to finish another book on economics or libertarianism and I've just managed to start a zillion of them and not finish any of them so right that's so I'm glad to hear that you've solved your procrastination problem <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny thing because I don't think I've been procrastinating them per se it's just I change priorities an overcommitment problem or a multiple commitment problem. I just like shiny new things. But sometimes it is because a book gets too hard. And then I, then I move on to something that's easier. It's too many problems to solve in the text all at once. And it's a little bit overwhelming. But most of them I want to go back to at some point. But it's hard when you're traveling. I don't really have the energy to write that much. Are you an anarchist? What do you mean by an anarchist? No government. What do you mean by government? <laughs> exactly. No, no states. Um, no entity that has the lawful authority to initiate violence. Well, no entity does have the lawful authority to initiate violence. It's just conceptual in people's heads. If you want to know... I, I think. you have the right to initiate violence against someone? What's a right? I have the capacity to act on it. Well, then all's permitted if it's just having the capacity to act on it. The thing is, the word anarchy is misleading because if you want to know what a world without states looks like, just look around you. There's no such thing as a state. There's no such thing as a state. You can't point to one in the world. I can it's, point to my paycheck and say that, like, it took this Yeah, exactly. 100%. Exactly. But that's not a state. That is not a state. What is the law? There's no such thing as a law. It's an agreement among men or people that has the force of law. What's the force of law? Violence. Okay, there's only individuals, right? 
that seem to believe that there's such a thing called the state. There's government buildings where people meet. They meet in these buildings and have meetings, and then they write things down on a piece of paper and put it on the internet, and then people obey it. It's a purely conceptual idea. There's no such thing as a state. There's no such thing as a forest. There's only a bunch of trees, right? But your mind comes over and superimposes a concept because you're not seeing reality as it is. You're seeing reality through concepts. No, I'm seeing reality through if I don't obey the laws that these people say I'm subjected to, they will kill me or put me in a cage. If I don't pay the taxes they demand me, they will kill me or put me in a cage. I agree with you. So it's the violence gives the state reality. That's what makes it real. No, but that's that. No, because then all mobsters are states, all mafias are states. So it's real, but not fully legitimate. What I mean is that it. It's a purely conceptual entity. It doesn't exist in real... It doesn't actually exist. This is what anarchy looks like. A bunch of people came along and convinced people that there are such things as states. A bunch of people with guns came in and said, respect my laws or I'll kill you. No, because most people... Most people agree that they have the... It's not just the people with the guns saying it otherwise they otherwise states would be recognized as math as gangsters so yeah i agree it's just a bunch of gangsters but they're the they're the more consensual by who consensual by the people who created it no it's what there's no it it's not being created it's just an interpersonal, intersubjective consensus, right? And every single person has a completely different idea in their head of what the state is. Are you a member of the Libertarian Party as a political force? I'm a, a member of the Scottish Libertarian Party. I read that you ran for office in Glasgow, even. Unless that was wrong. I ran, I ran for... City Council. Yeah, but it was just it was just to get the name on the ballot. We we know that type. Yeah, <laughs> we encourage that often. Been there, done that. By joining a political party, you yourself are given consent to be governed. Absolutely not. No. That's your view. All I did was sign a piece of paper so that people could see Scottish Libertarian Party on their ballot, and then maybe go and Google it. I didn't agree that I'm consenting to anything. No, that's your interpretation of what I did. I didn't give any. I, the only thing I did was for, sign a form because I knew the consequence of that would be. The guys with guns would come in and kill you? I mean, that's the thing, right? Because these laws exist, because people have given this group of other group of people the Again, to act in a certain way. You've said these. You've said these laws exist. I don't agree with you. I, so you're already smuggling in concepts I completely disagree with. If someone went down and supposing we were before the internet, and someone went down and burnt the buildings where all the laws were written in books, most people don't know what the laws are, right? So they'd have to construct it again from nothing. 
If the state, so where are these laws? Can you point to them anywhere in the world? I can't see them. Excuse me if I could just say something. Um, maybe this is a bad analogy, but I think what Brian's trying to say is like, Al Capone didn't pay his taxes, and look at what happened to him. A very powerful man was actually put in prison. So it's like there is something yeah. that we have to follow some rules, not that we want to, but there's some kind of... Is that kind of what yeah, but I, I never disagreed with that. I never disagreed that a bunch of people are going to force you to pay taxes. Or, but, but I'm just saying, the, 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 the only thing is, the only thing I said is, this is what anarchy looks like. Would you uh, say this, that, a bunch of people take cold... Any noun that describes a bunch of human interactions is, is not... Valid because no, I, I, don't, I never even said that the concepts aren't valid. The only problem is they, rather than demystify the world, they act as co- these concepts stop people from seeing clearly. So if you call it war, it's not going to someone else's country and killing a bunch of people. If you call it you know, a crime. It's not kidnapping someone for smoking a plant and put, putting them in a cage with murderers and rapists. The truth is you're kidnapping them and putting them in a cage with murderers and, murderers and rapists. That's what's actually happening when you arrest someone for taking drugs. Sure. So it would be okay. These concepts could be useful if people realise that there, there are ways we have of describing interactions but because people don't even realize because the people don't even realize what they're masking they're they're not they're no longer useful so so i'm a libertarian and i now with the party not an anarchist i'm a tax lawyer so i've studied the law i've studied taxation i spend my time and money I earn my money by complying with government rules and advising my clients, hey, pay the fucking tax. Yeah, because and if you don't, the consequences for you will be bad. So, the, you know, the United States was, you know, when, when our founders got together, right, the purpose they got together for was to reject the authority of the government that was trying to impose on them without their consent. It's written in the Declaration of Independence that governments were formed to derive their just powers from the consent of the government. So that it should be a consensual relationship. It can't be a consensual relationship if you're born into it, right? You don't agree to any of this yeah. stuff. You don't consent. But it exists in the sense that, you know, respect my authority. Yeah. Or we're going to put you in a fucking cage. Exactly. So, like, as I look at it, as, you know, from a political party's point of view, right, I understand the concept. You know, we don't have to recognize the existence of the state. We don't have to um, acquiesce or power to these people to come kick down our doors and kidnap us in the cages. Um, but as it stands, that is the way it is, right? Yeah. So, as a political um, it's hard to deny the existence of the state or to respect the body politic, right, as it is, right, and to 
are you know, acknowledging the existence of the state simply by being a political party. So I don't think much about anarchy. I look at it as more of an objective. Mm. Once the culture of humanity is very different than it is today, that we as people stop acknowledging the existence of the state, stop granting authority to these other people to come and rain fire on us. Yeah. Until we as you know, humans um, get to that point where we built that consensual culture, we can't have anarchy. Well, the thing is, well, I, well, what I was saying is this is anarchy. It's just people don't realize it because this, that's why I think the word isn't useful. But then you need to come up with a different word. So do I think that a world where people didn't believe that there are states and just thought it was a bunch of gangsters would be better? Yeah, of course I do. So uh, maybe I'm just, maybe, maybe, maybe I was being too nitpicky with the semantics, but I think it's important, personally, to at least have the concept that, you know, if there was no states, what would happen? Well, a bunch of people would come along and convince people that there are states. That's what has happened. So, but it's also useful to notice that in historical terms, states are anomalous. Because for the most of history, there were no states. And not only that, but the modern state is anomalous. Like, you know, it came around in the 16th century, approximately, where everything is governed by politics. Even in the Roman Empire, there's a lot of places that were lawless, as we would understand it. But they had emergent law from the bottom up rather than from the top down. The nor emer Having emergent law as the, in historical terms, is the rule rather than the, uh, the exception. But we are led to believe that non-state societies are exceptional, are the exception. But that's not the case. Even right now, there's lots of places in the world that are essentially not governed by states. If you, if you look up Keith Preston, he's an excellent scholar of anarchism and talks about these things. Me and my friend have interviewed him four or five times for our podcast, and he talks about it. Um, so... Even the end, it was widely thought that people migrated to city states. To the that people migrated to the early states because they were better at providing for their basic needs, and they left hunter gatherer societies because it was because um, life as a hunter gatherer was precarious. But the best evidence suggests that that's not the case, and mostly people were taken by mostly people were taken by force and brought into these city states, and then the city states would go and capture people from the neighboring city states and bring them in as slaves to work. The walls were built as much to keep people in as to keep people out. Even the prevalence of grain as a food substance. There's a good book on that, isn't there? It's called Against the Grain. Why do we eat grains? They were the easiest thing to tax. 
because all of the wheat matures at the same time. You could as easily have grown sweet potatoes. There's, there's, there's foods that are easier to grow than grains are. But when you grow tubers, they all come out at a different time. This one's ready one day, the that one's ready a week later. Whereas when wheat grows, it all grows at the same time. So it matures at the same time. The state official could come around, see how much wheat you've grown and tax you on it. So our whole... And now, increasingly, studies are saying, by the way, weed's really te- terrible for your health. You know, so... I, I only learned some of this stuff in the last year or two, but this is more like the kind of anarchist I was when I first became a libertarian. You know, the psychological element was really interesting to me. The idea that states are illusion. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming, Denise. Bye, Denise. The idea that states are illusionary entities that are merely psychological. Like I was really, really into that stuff when I first became a libertarian. But then I went, got really into economics, and because I can never stay on one topic for very long. You mentioned what was it called, the emergent state? Emer- I would just say emergent law. Emergent law. Yeah. I'm sorry, we, the the simultaneous translator didn't sign up. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? The simultaneous translator didn't sign up. Oh, uh, the so. Uh, so you have to keep asking. Yeah. This concept of uh, bottom. I mean. Can you maybe elaborate on that? And then also, how isn't, if, 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 if the state as we know it is a more recent concept. How is that not an example of emergent law? Is that the question? No, I'm, I'm asking, uh, my first, well, I guess my first question is, can you elaborate on what that concept is? And my second question is, if the modern con- concept of the state is, uh, is a recent phenomenon, um, and if we can agree that the state is just gangsters, I mean, haven't aren't kings just like gangsters? And I don't see I don't see how there's a real difference. Between, I think I think kings are gangsters. I, I just I guess I don't see where the pair like where the difference is. Well, the, the thing is, the thing is, they didn't really interfere in the day to day running of people's lives very much. You'd be bit. Sorry. They didn't have capacity. Okay, they didn't have the capacity to do it. Pretty much, you. Sorry. That's why they had to tax once a year because that's when they could get the guys together, right? Come in with overwhelming force and say, "Give me, give me your shit." Yeah. So, so like as Hans Hoppe says, at least it's conspicuous under a monarchy. You know that there's a ruler and you're being ruled over. Now, apparently, we're all the state. But I do. Like you, I think it's more of an academic question for the moment because I don't see us going into anarchy anytime soon. Unless the state collapses. I mean, who knows? Well, then you never... No such luck. No. I don't think so. Yeah, Yeah, I think the state is inevitable, basically. You think the state is inevitable? That's interesting. Because you're always going to have uh, somebody get initiate force against somebody. Well, the thing is, once you have a modern, if you ever have a modern society that is anarcho-capitalist, I don't even like the word anarcho-capitalist because it suggests that it's all about economics, which I disagree with. I don't think it is about economics. That's just, the economics is just the next 
stop on the bus stop. Like, you know, like um, Ayn Rand says, do not philosophize midstream. <laughs> you want to start with, I prefer the term voluntarism, voluntarism because it's an ethical proposition that the interactions between men should be voluntary. What the natural progression of that is what people call anarcho-capitalism, but that's just because voluntary interactions are free market in nature. It sounds better. Much better market. Yeah. I prefer it. I I'm prefer it. ANCAP, what the hell is that? Yeah. Well, so if you had a voluntarist... Our anarchists will just say an ANCAP is a contradiction in terms. I know, but they're the left-wing anarchists. You can't really speak to them. The The thing is, the if a voluntary society existed, it would be so wealthy. Yeah, Bob Murphy talks about that yeah. a lot. Especially like when, like how, how we write defense. He's like, well, we'd be so wealthy that we would have inventions and things that we can't fathom now. Exactly. But it's also a bad argument because right. lots of lots of non-anarchist societies get their ass kicked by bigger states. By So you go, so if someone says, well, how would you defend your anarchist society against foreign invaders? It's like, well, how would you, how would you defend your state society against foreign, foreign invaders? France got conquered by the Nazis. So, so it's, so the, the, so if it's allowed to, I think once people have it, they'll want to keep it, but whether they'll ever have it is the question. But certain things like Bitcoin make it more likely, but then there's technique, there's technology that makes it less likely as well. I'd say that what, sorry, because I didn't answer your question on emergent law. Was there something you wanted to come oh, back I just, on? I'm just, I'm just trying to, if, if, if you're defining, if you say state is a, how we know the state is a modern concept, but gangsters have existed throughout time. That's I true. guess I'm asking you where the dividing line is. And well, what that... there isn't one, because in the south of Italy, if someone steals your bike, you don't go to the police. You go to the local mafia guy. And the next day, your bike will be leaning against the wall. Still? Yes, yeah, still. I mean, that was like in the old days. I didn't no, know he kept going. No. Someone from Italy told me on a ski lift. He was <laughs> like, if you live where I live, no one goes to the police to get them to solve crimes. They go to the local mafia guy. That's how you do it. So in that region, that in that region, it's transparent. In the north, the state's the most successful mafia. In the South, the actual mafia is the most successful mafia. We should know the mafia is the mafia. Exactly. <laughs> it's preferable. Plus, you know, they're not going around taxing everyone. If you've got um, really if you've got a place of business, they might come in and say, hey, it's a nice place you got around here. It should be a shame if, I don't know, something should happen to it. You ought to pay someone for some protection. And that's what the state is. Oh, you need us to provide you with police, to provide you with national defence. You need to pay us protection. But what they've done is they've lumped a whole bunch of other stuff in, like with education and healthcare and stuff like that. So it's a carrot and a stick. We'll bribe you with free stuff, like this uh, check they've written everyone, to get them to shut the fuck up about the lockdowns. They're just bribing people into compliance. 
So I have a question. Uh, like we're, you know, aside from just theoretical, you know, conceptual, society isn't ready for anarchy. Um, there's like nuclear, biological, chemical weapons. There's intelligence. Uh, how would those things be managed and handled? In a well, I wouldn't give it to a bunch of psychopaths to manage. <laughs> Well, and that's that's the thing, right? Like once you kind of you start assigning that responsibility, yeah, you're going to need continuity. You're going to need secrecy. Um, you're going to need to fund it, and and it's and I don't and even if it's a private entity, right? You know, like to say, all right, well now the people don't want it, we're going to you know fire you and place you with somebody else. You know, I much prefer that. I served in the military, and I can tell you, most people that handle secret or top secret information or Command and control stuff are extremely incompetent, and you can't fire them. So, I, so I was in the Marine Corps, and that was not my experience. Those people were tough notch, but knew exactly what they were doing. Um, this is a deployment in 2016, and I know for a fact that I worked with three-star, two-star, one-star generals and naval captains and everything. And a lot of those people were great, but there were still a lot of incompetence and saw a lot of shit happen that like I don't know I don't know where this is going but yeah, I think the idea of a free society where I don't see how any of that shit fits in anyway yeah because how is it beneficial to a free society to have nuclear biological weapons because those things are things states whether we're whatever conceptual thing we're thinking of that those are things states use to subjugate and enforce their will upon other states it's not necessarily Sure, I mean, but in other states, will use it against us. I mean, even if we don't possess them ourselves, um, I think the cat's out of the bag on that one. Well, so that so there it is. I mean, it's like whether you want it to exist or not, it does. And you know, if we, you know, how do we, you know, if if libertarians are to present to to the voting public to say we have solutions, right? We have, you know, voluntary consensual ways in order to do these things, but we don't need the state. Well, what are they? I mean, when it comes to questions of nuclear biological chemical weapons, well, I mean, how would a libertarian society, you know, fund it and maintain it? I know, but the thing is, see, if 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 the state created ball bearings, a bunch of people would be saying. How would we have any steering wheels or cars without the government? It's only because you've only lived in a, a society where a state performs these functions that well, you... Tell something else, though. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's not necessarily possible to predict it. But the thing is, because I don't know, there's no one answer to it. it really, it's like, how do we know what the age of consent would be? I don't know. There's there, people figure it out based on their culture. How do we figure out what the best way smartphone is? Well, you get a bunch of people and they try so, a bunch of stuff and they bring it to the market and the best design wins out over time, not necessarily the first design. So before you had a Blu-ray, you had a DVD and before you had that, you had VHS and before that, you had Betamax. But people were constantly trying to provide a better form of video so the before we even had vhs who could predict a blu-ray disc no one could because you required 
the competition of the brightest minds in the development of video to arrive at a Blu-ray over decades, five, six, seven, a hundred, you know, decades, maybe a couple of hundred years. I don't know when they first had video, but before that they had photographs. So it's like, you're asking me, how would this be done? I don't know, because people would develop it, would develop, they'd come up with something and then someone would do it better and then someone would do it better than that and someone would do it better than that. That's how markets work. I mean, just thinking now, like trying to be optimistic about it, we already have in the United States military and there are already missile defense systems that would neutralize, you know, ICBMs and that so in the idea of uh, hopefully someday an anarchist society or a volunteer society, it would be in its best interest for whatever the global insurance companies of said free society to invest a lot of money in defenses against those certain things. And people wouldn't want to put their money into someone that was doing something precarious that might backfire on them. So... It's exactly how, exactly how markets work is exactly how state entities don't work. If you look at the education system, serious scholarship has become, came out in the 50s and 60s, if not earlier than that, on how people learn. And the schools do the opposite. And, and, the, and, and we've got like, we're 75 years ahead. That just, if someone creates a better phone, it's not going to take 70 years for the phone for the, for the phone to come to market. They might be able to hold it back for five or 10 years, usually with their patent laws, which are given to them by the state. So, but, but the thing is, someone doing a better job forces someone else to have to do a better job. There's no comparable... There's no comparable mechanism in states, which is why the healthcare sucks. It's why the education sucks, because no one's forcing them to adopt innovations. If I make a better phone than this iPhone, Apple will bring out a better product as soon as they possibly can, because they don't want to lose market share. What is this incentive for the state to there's no trial and error even if they want even if they want to run the military as best as they possibly can they still need to centrally plan it and set an agenda from washington they can't compare army a to army b to army c to army d and c so I would predict that the military in a free society would be significantly better. Plus, it costs a fraction to defend a society from attackers is what it does to um, invade a country. Just look at... Oh, Anthony? Yeah, le sorry, just like Lebanon giving Israel a hiding in 2006 or Afghanistan giving America a hiding for the last 20 years. It's like, these are poor countries, it's it's expensive and costly to invade a country. Sorry, you, what, you, what was your I question? I was wondering, uh, many in the world believe that Iran should not have a nuclear weapon. 
But Iran, yeah, and Iran doesn't have a nuclear weapon. It does not now. It wants to have one. Well, the thing is, it's very fucking precarious. It's very questionable whether Iran actually does want a nuclear weapon. The um, but. The, no, the, the, the Ayatollah, the Ayatollah said it's against Islam to have nuclear weapons. So, so, and he's pretty influential in Iran. So, Israel's been saying that Iran's going to have a nuclear weapon in five years for about thirty years or more. They keep on saying Iran's five years away from a nuclear weapon, and they've said that for thirty years. So, I don't know if the if it's reliable. The claims that Iran wants a nuclear weapon. In fact, they've been predictions might certainly might not. I'm one of the softies that said we'd rather have nuclear power with a soaring population. Yeah, but your question is how would uh, how would how would we stop them from gaining one? Supposing they did, or Or, or yes, or supposedly they want one, and we shouldn't. uh, Many in the world believe that their government should intervene to prevent um, this highly destabilizing country from getting. I don't, I don't, for, right, okay. It's better to stay in the realms of hypothetical because I pretty much disagree with everything you've said about Iran. Like, I don't agree that they are a very destabilizing country. As far as I can see, Israel and America have been trying to destabilize Iran. Iran hasn't destabilized anyone. I mean, they say that Iran funds Hezbollah, but they don't produce any evidence that Iran funds Hezbollah. They just claim it. Mm-hmm. Even if they did, Hezbollah only exists because Israel invaded Lebanon. So if Israel hadn't invaded Lebanon, Hezbollah wouldn't even exist. Right? So all the destabilization has come from the inverted commas Western powers. <laughs> why Why is Kuwait um, why, why is Kurdistan a little bit in Iraq a little bit in Turkey, a little bit in this country, because <coughs> Western powers came along and said, right, you guys have that bit, you'll be this country here. Like, it's the the West has been entirely the source of destabil- destabilization in the region. I mean, obviously, Islam is a, for- is a force as well. But why... But that's not even happened in isolation. Because Western powers have deposed secular governments in the region and allowed radical Islamic governments to come to power in the region and even supported them and given them money. So it's better to say what... I mean, I don't know if you agree or disagree with my analysis, but it's probably... I I, I suspect I might be dodging your question, which is supposing there is a country that has or wants to gain nuclear weapons and is a bad country, how would a stateless society prevent them from doing so? Is that the question? Yes. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I think the tangent was worth making. I don't know, but I suspect what would happen is a lot of people would be very worried about this. So their insurance... um, Whatever country was... Sorry, whatever organisations were responsible for protecting those populations would intervene but they'd do it um surgically with they'd have to do it surgically because 
unlike states, they couldn't just tax the, their population endlessly to pay for an occupation of that country. We can only we can only occupy countries because it's paid for through the tax system. You couldn't voluntarily fund the war in Afghanistan. Well, even for, worse, I mean, they're not even taxing anymore. They're just printing. Yeah, exactly. So whatever organization it was wouldn't have the power to print money ad infinitum. They'd have to they'd have to make a surgical strike on those people who were responsible. But you see, our leaders don't want to do that. They don't want to go and kill the leaders of Iran or any other country that we're supposedly enemies with. Because once they do that, all bets are off. They can be assassinated as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like Britain bombing civilian populations in Nazi Germany, and then Hitler went, okay, well, then I guess the gloves are off, and the blitz happened, and the UK and Churchill admitted that, you know, he was the first to bomb civilian populations. It's kind of like that with the leaders. It's like, if they, if we kill someone else, if our leaders target leaders in other countries, then it's like, right, okay, that's how the game's played now. We just target leaders. So it's not in their interest to do that. But it might be in the interests of a company that's charged with the duty of protecting people in an anarchist society. But again, like these are just hypotheticals. Like Bob Murphy's got really good and stuff on that. What we're doing is we're we're imagining how it might work. But the thing is, I actually trust the market because I've seen what the market does. So whatever solution I come up with, someone much smarter than me is going to come up with a better solution than that, and then someone's going to come up with a better solution than him, and then someone's going to come up with a better solution than them because that's how markets work and that's why we get a better phone every year so i'm just guessing basically it's, it might be an educated guess but it's still just a guess for the ball bearing example if you if we lived in a world where the governments had always made all the ball bearings if you try to explain how it would work in like a capitalist free market society you would sound like a crazy person i think so I think so, because we're, who would build the roads, right? Are, are roads such a fucking innovation are, that they can't be... But people really believe that. They really believe that roads wouldn't get built without the government. So that's just like ball bearings, as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's so silly to think that roads wouldn't get built without government. But the thing is, we might not even need that many roads if the government hadn't fiddled around in the first place because we might have far better mass transit systems. We wouldn't be be encouraging people to move out to the suburbs by building giant highways that go out there. I have no idea. Well, I mean, I even got family that live in the mountains of Arkansas and it's just like you said, the market doth provide pretty much. It's out there, the roads are a lot of times mostly dirt. On the Oklahoma side, it's paved blacktop, but on the Arkansas side, it's dirt. So what do people do? They adapt and they drive vehicles that, that are suitable. That are suited for the road. Yeah, and also, My family literally buys special tires that are like like thicker for the, the big rocks. And yeah, see if you had lots of people out in that situation, it's like... They're being subsidized. Pe- people who live in the in the country, they're being subsidized for posts. 
they're being subsidized for all sorts of all sorts of stuff is telecommunications. more telecommunications everything everything is more expensive to provide to rural areas so you take some of that money that you're losing because you have to pay for all the communications and the posts and everything you put that into roads wow you know so it's easier to get out there or, or some kind of transport i don't know it's hypothetical I know that we'd be so much richer, everyone would be so much wealthier. I mean, could could states survive the abolition of poverty? Because if people who are impoverished get a middle-class income, they do what middle-class people do. They take their kids out of the pri- public schools and put them in better private schools. Well, you don't need the state to provide education. They get their own health insurance, so they don't need Medicare and Medicaid. Oh, well, there's your government we need government to provide health care they don't go into the military so readily for opportunities for ways out of poor areas there there's less crime there's less crime because most crime is committed unless you count blue collar crime by violent crime yeah yeah so the thing is, as people become more wealthy, the need for the state recedes, which may be why they destroyed all your wealth creating capacity for the last 15 months. I don't know. I'm not inclined towards conspiracy theorists, theories, but if I was going to give a rationale for why they might want to do this, that's, that's one of them. So can I just say I went outside for 10 minutes and I came back in and libertarians were bitching about the fucking so you when you did your your psychi uh, psychotherapy studying like you you said you really got into you studied communication like did you study like different theories of communication and that sort of stuff or like rhetoric or a little bit um what it was mostly conflict resolution stuff and the best books are probably Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, although as if you take his theory very literally, it's a little bit clunky, I guess. But it's got useful tools in there. And the other one is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. That Those techniques are not just good for kids, they're really good for dealing with adults as well. Um, then I actually went out for about two or three years to bars, clubs, streets, places and talk to strangers like at least once a week on average, I would say over that period to learn about. So I, I did, there's like a 19 part series on my YouTube channel called How to Make Small Talk and that's all stuff that I learned from just speaking to strangers. So anything to do with communication has been like, communication skills has been of interest to me. So, I ran for state's attorney here in Cook County. You've just consented to being governed. I did. A little bit. (laughs) Just a little. So, you know, chief head prosecutor, you know, discretion to prosecute. Like, the state's attorney has absolute discretion. They don't have to prosecute anybody. So I sat around and thought about it. I talked to Adam a lot. Like we spent a lot of time talking. Like what, you know, 
also I'm a libertarian and you know, I'm in Cook County, right? There's tons of violence and still a lot of shooting. And what are my solutions? You know, how do I talk about this in a way that the average person is going to understand? And you know, because you're competing with exactly. this law and order message, you know. Yeah. Then you're competing with the social justice message. And you know, you're trying to find a new place appreciate the discussion and so you know it's like well you know peaceful law um, or peaceful order and just law right I mean it's that these words they're dropping these very important words you know it's not law and order right it's just law and peaceful order and if we try to you know we're using state violence to try to create peaceful order and if we try to solve our social ills with violence, you're creating violence in society where it wouldn't otherwise exist. And so it's like I, I did spend the time to try to think like I'm talking to Joe Bro, you know, mm. Joe Sixpack. You know, who don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And it's like who's got a limited attention span and listen to political fucking parentics? It's yeah. an asshole. So you know, like having to go through that exercise was, you know, I mean, it was something else, you know, like kind of sit around and really think about it. Yeah. What what I found the most effective, and it's, a, it's annoying because it's very time consuming, is when a, another person has a differing view from you, you just ask some questions and get them to fully articulate their position and then paraphrase it back to them and until they're like you're like if i so if i've understood you correctly your position is blah 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 and when they're like yes then you can find then because you've got uh because you've got a picture of how they see it in their head you can find an entry point but if you just have your say if you're just too desperate to have your say it's like pff, walls go up i've had this with you know even so like total social justice warrior like i just gave her her say i paraphrase i made sure i understood it she talked about like slavery all this stuff and you know at the end i said well do you know what you know slavery was an abomination obviously i didn't say it in those words but like I don't know any other culture that's actually um well first of all, you know, the UK fought a war with Portugal to force them to end slavery, right? You know, the I don't know any other society other than European societies that have actually introduced laws to try and reverse a history of like what what society has ever passed a law discriminating against the dominant group other than European cultures. Like the the Arabs took more slaves from Africa than the Europeans did, but you're not gonna find anyone there asking for reparations because they they castrated all the men and then worked them to death. So there isn't any you know so it's like I was able to introduce these concepts probably more sensitively than I've done it here and she was actually like oh you know I hadn't heard of that stuff and things like that but it's because I gave her the time to develop and showed my understanding and I was ecumenical like or 
I was fair. You know, I acknowledged, I acknowledged what was true and what she was said, and that that that's good. It works, but it's very time consuming. You have to care about the other person, but it's also quite a good experience as well. It may be worth the time with a lot of people because you go, wow, that that was actually a that was actually a productive conversation, you know. So the thing is, I don't know if we we've got time to have as many conversations as that. that's the problem with statism. Because when the government has to control something, you have to discuss every single fucking policy with everyone. Whereas when the market's doing it, it's easy. You just buy the product you like and you don't buy the product you don't like. You don't need to have a big fucking committee meeting to decide. What to do with somebody else's money. Exactly. (laughs) So this is the place we've got, you know, Oscar Wilde said, the problem with socialism is it would take too many evenings. Well, all time, all you spend all oh. too many evenings. You know, we need to discuss everything every you evening. With his count, with your comrades. Yeah. I went to a DSA, Democratic Socialist of America, today. I've, I've attended a few of their meetings. They're actually, they're not too bad. You know, I, I mean, I get to get this in. They were complaining about the state. I was like, you know, they're like, you know, we got to get the state out of this. That's pretty good. You know, like, what are you talking about? I mean. It's not the DSA I know. <laughs> Depends what night or what topic you catch on. Yeah, so. What were their specific examples? Uh, it, it was, uh, I think it had, to, it had to do with locking people up. You know? It's the same criminal justice. Criminal justice reform. But if I don't pay heavy uh, socialist taxes, they'll lock me up too. I don't think that far through, man. I mean, that's, that's part of the criticism. <laughs> My, my alderman is a, one of the socialist uh, aldermen in Chicago. Yeah. I still live so from uh, I'm the same place. Specific specific you do. Yeah. 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 Six of them, yeah. the DSA endorsed. They're the uh, host of the first Sanders. Okay. So, well, I mean, the other two, <laughs> they're the old daily machine. What's your, right. what are you, what's your thing? Variety. What is yes. your yeah, draw? It, you know, Doesn't yeah. even have to be anything. Status quo without being social justice. Like, what's got you? Yeah. Okay. What's, what I've been doing recently is I've been giving talks at Libertarian Party events. I'm such a statist. <laughs> um, emphasizing the importance of, like, community engaging, personal, like, engaging with the libertarian community because for various reasons because it's good it it preserves your sanity but um when people leave like republicanism or leftism they're not just leaving ideas that's going to put them at odds with their friends and their family so they need a nice community to come into to be their new family and I was just talking to, to people about like self-reliance, building up your own skills and not being afraid to tell other people what you do, what you're good at, because they might know someone that you can help and that people should be able to come to their local LP branch 
and if they've got a problem like i don't know supposing someone comes from another country and wants to get a residency here uh, i mean i'm not saying that anyone does but like supposing they did like could they go to the lp and say whatever their problem is and find someone who knows someone who knows someone oh i know someone who who can help with that because they moved here they helped someone move here you know whatever it is whatever because that's the counter that's society the state has colonized society and the state masquerades as society and people think the state is synonymous with society but if you have strong community the need for the state recedes like the left are happy to say oh we live in an atomistic society no one knows their neighbors i would say and that's because and they say that's because it's a capitalist society i'd say no that's because your social programs worked you fucking idiots mm. no one needs to know their neighbors because if they fall on hard times they don't go to their neighbors they go to the state so your social programs have destroyed community basically what we need is to build community anyway so I, the reason why i'm focused on that is i always want to i always want to help people focus on what is in their control not what they've got no power over that's what i that's why i don't really see much of a dividing line between my work as a counselor and as a and my libertarian advocacy they kind of run into one another because they're both about personal responsibility um you can't have a libertarian society without individual empowerment because people who are not empowered aren't ready to create a libertarian society if you come out of 11 to 13 years of mandatory education and you've not got enough skills to get a minimum wage job you're not going to have a favorable view of the market period yeah because you're not marketable the market is going to be a hostile place for you in fact the the education system is you know it's probably the source of all our problems because if most people were going into even apprentice apprenticeships and what have you or something and the best schools if you want to learn geometry you don't fill out a worksheet they'll you'll make tables and things like that you'll do something to learn that how the angles work and those are the best skills so the the pro- one of the problems with school is all of the work is meaningless work you write an essay the teacher reads it and then it gets put in the bin whereas in the best schools all of the work is meaningful work and that it creates something that might be useful to someone so there's not so much of a distinction between education and the workplace why aren't they encouraging kids if you write an essay for school it shouldn't just be for school it should be for the school magazine or a website try and write something that you'd submit somewhere try and write something you'd want people to read it's not just to get a mark what's the point in filling out worksheets all day so it can go in the bin it's not helping anyone the kids aren't learning to create value for other people so if you can teach people to learn by giving value to each other then they'll be favorable to a market economy i think 
Well, you're describing the difference between the educational elites and the education of the masses. Mm. Might that be what you're describing, a means to keep um, from, let's say, the, uh, the masses from developing the active literacies of um, effective writing and public speaking, um, um, in a, the, the having the inability to participate fully and forcefully in democracies? Yeah, and this is the stuff that the left used to talk about when they were a little bit good in some ways, when they weren't all bad. But I don't know. I don't know if it's a je- I don't know if they're wicked or they're stupid or it's just the incentive structure of having a state would turn out this kind of education system. I think you're underestimating or maybe because maybe. Well, It's every election comes down to the lesser two evils. They of course. are not accountable for what they do because the other party just says, you know, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Exactly. And, and it just, that's the end of it. I mean, you can talk all day and night and it's not going to change many people's minds. Exactly. They're going to say, I mean, Trump has been amazing. Like, no one's thinking about anything. It just, you know, it's either they love Trump or they hate Trump. Exactly. That's the end of it. I agree with you, but the thing is, my point on my point on making people competent, like starting with education, the education system, is that the states of decreasing relevance to people who are competent. It's only relevant in the sense that the state's going to pilfer their paycheck. So the more competent you become, the less the less you want the state because it's stealing your money. But if you're incompetent, then you want the state for regulations, you want it for handouts. Collective defense? Yeah. Well, do you know what? I'm happy to give you collective defense. Do you know what I mean? If it came down to that, like, just have it. If Okay, I'll give you the roads, right? Let's just have states for the roads and collective defence. Everything else, just get rid of it. But here's a question, right? See if you're going to have a state education system and a state healthcare system and national defence. Why have one entity? Why? Why do I have one company that makes iPhone and printed paper and cabinets and chicken? No, we have different companies to provide different functions. So why not have one entity to tax you for the education system, one separate entity to tax you for national defense? Why do you have to have one entity? It's crazy. It's crazy. But it's only accepted because everyone's used to it. Can I ask you a question about Scottish history? Uh, Yeah, but I don't know if I'll know the answer to it. (laughs) Uh, What are your thoughts on John Knox? You'd be better off asking Tam Laird, the leader of the Scottish Libertarian Party, because he's a Christian and he has a lot to say about John Knox and pretty much every major reformer in the history of Christianity. Do you know anything about John Knox, David? No, not enough to give a confident answer to that question. You're I, I shit out. He like ransacked St. Andrews or. Up a you sound like you're shit out of luck on this question. <laughs> You've got no qualified. I'm gonna look it up later. <laughs> I was a Presbyterian. Help, help lead the Presbyterian you know, cause in the 16th century. There. Well, I'm sure Tom would be happy to answer you if you want to send him an email. <laughs> so, 
So I'm considering running for mayor of Chicago. Do that. What? I'll help you. What? If my citizenship comes through. Thanks. Um, and one of the big issues here is the schools, is education. It's a huge expense. There's a bunch of pensions. There's always you know, there's threats of strikes. A public sector union, not a private sector union. Um, and so my proposal was to recommend that we just take the current amount of spending and, and taxation for education, divide it up by the number of kids in the in, uh, city, and give it to... Give them a voucher. And give them a voucher. A voucher that you can use for food, or clothes, or books, or, and then let the parents pick it out. Yeah. What do you think of that? It's I'm 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 not against uh, steps in the right direction. I like the voucher idea. Some libertarians have objections to it, but I think it approximates the methods of the market. Mm -hmm. Well, what I'm, what I'm, what the, the point would be this, I guess. Arguably, we've consented to provide an education for yeah, not enough. If you don't give your money to the government for public education, enough people agree that you should be forced, that you will be forced. Yes. So, <laughs> well, exactly. So, you know, it, it's to try to shift, like to, to move the culture forward, right? to move the conversation forward, to say, it's not society's responsibility to educate or children. It's society's responsibility to provide you the resources and means to educate your own children. And to, you know, to, because no one cares about your kids more than you, right? And, and like, just a, a way to kind of move more towards volunteerism, more towards personal responsibility, more you know, away from. Yeah. Well, there is one respect. Let me say this. Um, there is one respect in which Illinois is the best state in the union. That's because you're here, David. No, no, uh, no that's true. That's true. Uh, I can't deny it. In all honesty, well, uh, but no, there is one respect in which Illinois is the best state in the union. Lisa knows what it is. Um, can, they, can anybody guess what it is? Prisoners that are former governors? <laughs> it is the only state in the Union, and I think I'm right in saying this, there might be another one, but I don't believe there is, which in, if, in practice takes zero interest in interfering in homeschool. Uh, we, we had four kids, they were all homeschooled. Um, uh, one of them was in the state system. We heard about this gifted program for which you have to pass an exam. So he, he passed the exam and, of course, passed it. And then he was bussed like two hours a day there and two hours a day back to this gifted, gifted, gifted thing. Um, and it was a great gifted program, except the teachers weren't gifted and the administrators weren't gifted. Probably the kids were gifted. Uh, but, uh, so he really liked it the first two. 
years. I don't know much about American public schooling, but I gather a lot depends on the class teacher you have. You know. mm-hmm. And the third year, he hated it, so he came back into the whole schooling sector. Um, but apart from that, but even, but even then I thought, oh, he's leaving the state education sector to come back into homeschooling. Somebody is going to ask questions. Somebody's going to want to know what's going on. Well, we did, we did fill out a form saying, and we put down, um, uh, yeah, he's going, to the, he's going to go to the Ramsey Academy, 720 South Dear. <laughs> um, never, we never heard a peep. And I, I've talked to a number of libertarians about this. It's, it's homeschool heaven is Illinois. It's the only state. There are some, there are some things where it's as bad as the UK. I mean, you basically got to be, have a teacher qualification to do homeschooling. It's that bad. But there are others where they constantly interfere, constantly look over your shoulder, constantly make you fill out forms. Illinois, as far as I'm aware, is the only state, and I've been told this by people, you know, specialists in homeschooling, where there is absolutely zero interference in homeschooling. But, I mean, obviously, if the kids are out holding up banks or something, <laughs> somebody's going to start asking questions, but they, there's just nothing. They take no interest. It's absolutely great. I think in a lot of ways the schools are used to warehouse kids. You know, moms and dads have to work. And they get mm-hmm. something to do with their kids. They put them in school, you know. And it's like, you still got eight hours to figure stuff out with myself. So, and it's so, the, the education system here is absolutely abysmal and it's terrible. I am a product of the Chicago public school system. Right. So yes, I can see you are. You've got that broken look. <laughs> it was the teachers, Your Honor. It was the teachers. Yeah, just think how brilliant I would have been if I had a, the schools our children deserve. How brilliant most people would be. I agree. Yeah, for sure. I think instead of proposing the voucher system, you should just propose to take all the money that would have been spent on the school system and just rebate it back to the people. I don't think that's very well, that's, sellable. That's really the voucher system under a different form. It's a more radical kind. I mean, the voucher system, I mean, if, I, th- I think the only way progress is going to be made in some of these issues is by half measures and compromise things like the vouchers. Yeah, I would think how politically popular that would be if you just said, like, oh, people love getting checks in the dollars to every yeah. People love getting checks in the mail, but the trouble is you're up against this ideology that says the checks in the mail are costly. So they give you the check in the mail and force you to go into the state school sector. You see, you're liable to get half of what you want. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna social justice and equity and you know, because I, I all but, those issues. But it's still so better. I understand it's better, <laughs> but it has to be a politically feasible. It's not right? feasible. You gotta sell it to the public. Giving giving money to Chicago, giving money to people is politically popular. In exchange for they can't send their kids to the warehouse for eight hours a day, so and they and they go to work. No, people are like, of course you need public school. Twelve thousand dollars. You're not you're not bribing them twelve thousand dollars a day. It's not that much because there's pension expenses, right? That that's fixed cost, and it's all. Like old stuff, right? All those, all these teachers are gone. They're still paying their pensions. Yes. So there's that cost. And then, I mean, you're, I did the math. It comes out to about nine thousand. And you just take the kids that are currently in school. But if you say we're opening that class and saying all children, 
one side of the car was dropping balls twice behind. I mean, I'm saying no man, but it's like this. I don't think that's a viable position. You know, I mean, if you want to learn from here and propose that to the people, you see what you can see. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, it's something that, I, you know, I don't think the voucher thing is not a viable position. That's never going to pass in Chicago. It's never well, say never. No, it's <laughs> equality, right? Because here's is the thing, it? right? Is there, there are parents who live in areas of the city their kids are getting fucked. I mean, their kids are going to school in a fucking prison. And what I'm saying is, look, here's 7,000 bucks. You can buy your kid clothes. You can buy your kid food. You do what you want. You educate your kid. Right? Some people are going to... They do. They do. If, if YouTube and podcasts had existed when I was in school, I'd be a freaking genius. I would have. I, I would have listened to podcasts and said, I didn't even really like the t- TV. I just watched it all the time because I didn't want to do my homework. But, which, by the way, is an interesting point because the studies show that at an elementary school level, at least, right up to high school level, um, homework assignments do not increase the learning of kids. There's no educate there's no evidence to support that but what it does do is create sociological problems because the kids come back and they fight with their parents over homework so they're not on as good terms with their parents then they don't go out to play with their friends so they don't get as good as socialization and learn emergent law from it's funny kids learn from free association because they roughhouse for example and then one of them starts crying and says, "You took it. To, I'm not playing with you anymore. I'm not friends with you anymore." That's how they learn not to take it too far. By playing, they find out when they piss their friend off and their friend doesn't want to play with them anymore. That's how they learn where the boundaries are. So instead, they're fight. You know, I'm going to watch another episode of whatever I was on TV because then it pushes back me doing my homework. But I have, you know, it's so. Stuff like that. The the studies have been available on that. I don't know when Alfie Cohen brought out the book called The Homework Myth. It might have been the 90s. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, they have the, the, have the least worst education <laughs> system. <laughs> but they don't even know. They don't even know. They've still tried to centrally plan it. So we still don't know what the best schools look like because we've not applied the market process to schools over decades. But people have discovered some things. Like, I'm a huge fan, or I was, when I was into this stuff of Alfie Cohen. He's produced amazing books on education reform. And he gets ignored. But then when he goes out speaking, he says the higher people are in the food chain, the more conservative they are. So the teachers are more open to reform and then the principals are somewhat open and then the superintendents they're kind of skeptical and then the people who make the decisions for the superintendent they don't want to hear it and then the policymakers are totally against any progressive reforms to education so the more power you have the less o- the, the the teachers know that reforms necessary because they see that whatever they're doing isn't working 
It's fucked up. But that's central planning for you. Central planning. And so, you know, the vouchers and, you know, I thought about UBI inside me. I'm not a fan. I know someone who wrote a really good book about that. I've heard, I heard, but no copies here to sell. I've got two. Right. Maybe we should auction them off to the highest bidder. No, no, seriously. Um, some uh, Angela McCardle of the LP took a signed copy of my book to an LP fundraiser and managed to auction it off for two hundred dollars. Yeah. I was like, two hundred and something dollars. I was like, what have I been doing the wrong thing? Maybe I had the right idea tonight. I've only got two copies, so uh-huh. they can go to the highest bidder. That'll get me across the states. <laughs> but David's got tons of books oh, to no, sell. The reason I ask is because I'm a 